just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I'm your host, Todd Schnick. Joined, I always say I'm joined by my a friend, uh, but this time, this is real. This is a guy I've known for a long, long time. Used to be a part of a really, really significant organization that, that you'll be familiar with when he walks us through his background. It's been good to see him. It's probably been, what we said, five, six, seven yeah, years. Yeah, great to see you, Todd. So it's been a long time. Say hello to Brooks Robinson. He's the co-founder and CEO of Springbot. Brooks, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here. Great to have you. Thanks for making time to join us. Again, good to see you. It's been too, too long. So, gosh, before we get into a conversation around Springbot, take a quick few seconds and inform the audience a bit about you and your background. Well, great. Yeah, it's been uh, 15 years here in Atlanta. I moved here to help start a company called CBeyond. CBeyond. Telecom and IT services for the small business market. You know, there was a handful of us that started CBeyond and grew that to, a, I think, a great company that gave a lot back to the community here in Atlanta. About 2,000 employees by the time uh, I left about 12 years later and, you know, public company, close to 500 million in revenue. So uh, it was a good, fun run. And I was uh, really excited to jump into my next startup, Springbot. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, boy, I think when our paths first crossed many years ago was when CBN was just getting off the ground. I mean, it was yeah, a pretty young been. organization when we connected. It was a lot of fun to see that thing thrive. Yeah, we started that in uh, early 2000. Really late 99, early 2000. So just before the dot-com bust. <laughs> so we lived through that. We lived through the telecom challenges in 2002. Of course, the banking crisis in 08, 09. So it was a fun ride. And of course, then going public in 2005 uh, mm-hmm. was fun as well. Absolutely. That's always fun. Yep. All right. Well, you mentioned Springbot. So give us the 10,000 foot view of Springbot. What do you do? How are you serving your market? Yeah, well, what we saw actually, it was interesting. I had a front row seat when I was at CBON watching the growth of e-commerce. We were hosting a lot of e-commerce sites. And decided in, you know, late 2011 to really jump into the next startup, which is really our idea here is we're helping small and medium e-commerce stores compete against the big guys. You know, why should Target and Walmart and Amazon have access to all the cool technology to help them market to consumers? So we want to bring that, what they call advanced marketing technologies or advanced big data technologies and bring that to the, to the small and medium e-commerce store. There's so much valuable data in these e-commerce stores and they're not leveraging that to really help them market to their consumer smarter. What is the current state of the union, if you will, on e-commerce? I mean, we're most of us listening have probably bought a lot of stuff on Amazon. Yeah. And, you know, we're over the fear of buying things online. I can remember a time when I used to be afraid to buy something on Amazon, right? <laughs> that but was a long time it's ago. It's a long time ago, but it sounds like this is a market that is in desperate need of, of a tool that could enable them to compete with the likes of an Amazon. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. There are 500,000 small and medium e-commerce stores in the United States. 500,000? 500,000, 500, right? Growing at 20% or more than 20% year over year. So it's a huge market. And what we're finding is, you know, while Amazon is a great shopping experience, mostly built around logistics, right? The fact that you can order something and have it show up at your door the next day. But what these small and medium stores do really well is they're very passionate about their product. And so you have very curated sites really focused on certain market niches, whether it's fashion or whether that's hobby related or sporting. It's amazing to see these owners are so passionate about their product. It really shows in their store. 
So if you're going to go buy some clothing on Amazon, it's going to talk to you about the color, the size. But when you talk to a, one of our customers and, and their fashion-related products, they're going to talk to you about you know, when to wear it, uh, what gets them excited about the, the material or about the color, about how to mix and match different of their apparel. So it's, a, it's amazing to see these stores grow. There's a lot of platforms to help them grow. These shopping cart platforms are called. Mm-hmm. So you've seen Shopify just recently went public. So they're a partner of ours. So we work with Shopify mm-hmm. e-commerce sites or another platform called Magento. Magento has close to 250,000 e-commerce stores around the world on their platform. And we work with Magento stores to help them grow as well. That's very, very exciting. So company's about three years old now, I understand. It's uh, three years old almost to the day. And I understand you just hired employee number 50? Yeah, we're growing. We announced a funding round in early June, which was great. We were able to add some more money to the coffers mm-hmm. to help grow and continue to build the platform and obviously accelerate our sales and marketing. Congratulations on that. That's uh, Those are all really good and important benchmarks. So uh, kudos to you on that. So talk about the actual product itself. Yeah, so the product itself, it's software as a service. Right. So what we do is we connect or we integrate with e-commerce shopping carts, whether that was Magento or Shopify that I mentioned earlier. What we do is we harvest the data from those stores so we can analyze what's working and what's not with the online marketing. So that's understanding conversion rates on email campaigns or how well is social media working? Is Instagram working better than Pinterest or is Twitter working better than Facebook? So really looking at that, we call omni-channel. So all the multiple channels that come into your site, how do we know which ones are working and which ones aren't? Where do you put that next dollar of marketing? That's what our software does. And so we provide a really simple dashboard that sits on top of your shopping cart so that you as the marketer or owner of the e-commerce store really get a good sense of what's going on. And then really we then automate those marketing actions we think will drive the most revenue for you. Brooks, it's no surprise that we talk about big data a lot on this show. And when you think of an Amazon and the data they're collecting and and their ability to do amazing things with it in terms of helping you understand what you want to be buying next, you're right. There was a vacuum in the marketplace where a small and medium-sized business didn't have that big data. And I'm talking across the wide spectrum here of business, of e-commerce, of healthcare technology, which we talked about pre-show. All the different realms where data is having this now is a new big impact. I've long held that we're pretty good at collecting data. But we have, most organizations have been pretty lousy at doing anything meaningful with it. How is these small and medium-sized organizations that you're partnering with, I don't know that they've ever really had access to the data. And even if they did, they weren't doing anything really good with it. How are you seeing them transition into what this tool affords them and what kind of impact is it having? Yeah, well, it's interesting. You're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's one thing to collect the data. It's another thing to make that data actionable. Right. Right. How do you really turn it into? And so one of the things that we did early on, you know, we started the company back three years ago at the ATDC. So the Advanced Technology Development Center at Georgia Tech. And we had this great opportunity to go through a program called Flashpoint that really was more about customer discovery. So let's go off and talk to customers about how they're running their business. What are their challenges? And it was really interesting that many of them saw that they or understood they had this data in their store. They didn't know necessarily what to do with it. And then even when they were able to pull that data out into an Excel spreadsheet, say, right, you think about multiple variables that go into whether a marketing campaign would work or not. And you would see these folks are very, very smart. They're very, very passionate. They would go do this analysis once, right? Let me go look at the conversion rates of a marketing campaign that I did to men that bought in a certain product category. You do that once and you get really proud of that analysis, but then how do you go and and turn that into something you can replicate in your business, right? Your head would explode, right? (laughs) Trying to think about how you do that with all the different permutations. So we realized that we could go and take this data and automate those calculations and that analytics for these stores. But then the challenge became, you now had thousands of different actions that you could take, right? So imagine if I came to you and said, I've I've analyzed all your data and here are a hundred things you could do. 
right? You now have something we call decision paralysis, mm-hmm. right? So not only, I, at least I solved the problem of all this data and creating, here are things you can do with it, but now I have to help you understand which three should you do first. And that was a real breakthrough for us a couple of years ago when we, we realized that not only do we have to analyze the data, we have to make it actionable, we then have to present it in a way that made you comfortable taking action. And so when you log into our dashboard, there's lots of ways you can send a Facebook post to your followers or you can do you know, tweets or you can do um, stuff through Hootsuite or MailChimp campaigns. But at the top of the dashboard, there's three recommendations that we think you should take for your marketing based on your data. And that really is a big breakthrough for us. And I think that's an area where a lot of our customers, you know, our, our e-commerce stores that we work with really say, geez, now I can, if I'm lost or if I'm stuck and not know what to do, I can always go to the Springbot dashboard. There's going to be three things for me to do based on my store. That's game changing for some of the organizations, right? Because all the tools are out there, Brooks. I yep. mean, if I am running an e-commerce site and I want to go out and invest in this tool and that piece of software and this and that, I could cobble it together. And, but then I would get all that information and I would have the decision paralysis. Yeah. Uh, having this idea of having here are three recommended things based on this isn't, this isn't coming from our database. This is cold from your data, right? Right. That changes everything for these guys. Well, it's not just best practices because anyone can give you here are 10 things that every e-commerce store should do. Okay. That's kind of table stakes. That's stuff that you might read in a magazine, right. right? Let's move a little bit further and be a little more sophisticated, leverage your data. You know, a key element of our strategy is kind of stepping back to where we decided to build the business three years ago is really it's this concept of an e-commerce marketing platform, right? So our goal isn't to go and tell you to, to stop using MailChimp or to stop using Constant Contact. We want you to keep using the same marketing tools. We just want you to pull that data into our platform so we can help you understand how to make that MailChimp campaign better the next time. Yeah, you don't have to give up all your stuff, right? You right. can integrate most things into the Springbot platform, I, right? I view my, my job is to go to Internet Retailer, which is the big e-commerce show in Chicago every year, walk the floor and figure out if I was running an e-commerce store, what are the things I'd want to plug in, right? So those are things like a great example is AdRoll. Mm. Right. AdRoll is an online retargeting service. So when someone comes to your e-commerce store and they look at the blue shirt, they get an ad when they go to, say, the Weather Channel for the blue shirt. Right. That's, that's general. That's called dynamic retargeting, product-based retargeting. That's generally left to the big guys. Right. But we've helped the smaller stores get access to that technology. Yeah. It's very, very exciting. All right. Brooks Robinson will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by Miles Finch Innovation, LLC, a creative consultancy that is passionate about ideas, imagination, and facilitating a culture of innovation. Miles Finch Innovation helps companies navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. They're strategic thinking partners who can help you get unstuck and identify creative solutions to your toughest challenges. They also love to train and speak on the subject of creative leadership. Learn more about how they can help you at milesfinchinnovation.com. Miles Finch Innovation. Idea-centric. Strategically driven. Humanly conscious. All right, I'm back with Brooks Robinson, co-founder and CEO of Springbot. Gosh, you know, the, <laughs> we're talking about retargeting right before the break. You've always thought that that was an Amazon thing, right? I mean, those are the big dogs that have the technology to do that. Very, very cool that you're bringing that to an SMB marketplace. Thinking back towards your discussion of the guy who does that snapshot analysis and then doesn't do it again, because I think the key here is also to be able to discern trends, right? Because that can be game-changing for a small to medium-sized organization too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, within the data, we can see things like a, a tremendous growth in mobile shopping. 
right? So at what point should an e-commerce store really look at building a mobile responsive site so that the experience in buying on a tablet or an iPhone is the same as buying on a PC? And so we can see that today. We see traffic increasing significantly more in mobile. The purchasing or conversion rate still lags that of on a PC. You can imagine you may be doing a little more browsing on a tablet than actually buying, but that conversion rate is increasing. And so as we're watching that, we're able to share those trends with all of our customers and say, hey, you know, now is the time to definitely have a responsive site. Then the next question is, should I have a mobile app? And that's some of the questions we're helping some stores answer. You know, there was a time, Brooks, as you recall, back when you and I were young men, when there was a decision if an organization should have a website, right? I mean, you can remember <laughs> right. that, those old I absolutely days. do, yep. We're now at that stage where people are deciding, should we have an app, right? And I think it's cool, it's sexy, but I also saw a statistic that said something on the lines of, you may have the more accurate statistics, but it was something as profound as 70% of the apps out there are open once or twice and then they're never opened again, right? right. which tells you that you have to be very smart about whether you do an app. And that sounds like what Springbot can do is make tell you this is an important move or not. Well, there's an interesting thing around, you know, if as a consumer, you're going to buy one time from a store, whatever the type of product is that might do that. You're not likely going to go download an app for that. But if it's a if it's a brand that maybe has a cult following, that you like the imagery of the site, that you want to be a part of the brand, then that's probably where someone would actually download an app. Even today, though, I still struggle with how many apps are you going to actually put on your phone? And of course, you know, you and I being a little older, we probably have fewer apps than the younger generation. So I think, you know, we have to definitely be wary of that. But, you know, building a mobile app has gotten a lot less expensive than it used to be. But it's like almost think of it as another channel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we're going to watch over the next couple of years. Well, you had a successful round of funding, uh, fundraising not too long ago. Uh, what's next for Springbot? What should we be paying attention to? Yeah, well, we just moved to some great new space in Colony Square down in Midtown. So 14th and Peachtree. The team is excited. As we talked earlier, we now have about 50 people. I mean, I think culture is so important. You know, we've really been entrenched for the past three years, building the product, growing the business. And I hope that you start to see us more in the community. I mean, that was a big thing we did at Beyond, And mm-hmm. I, I think the Springbok culture is fun. It's energetic. It's aggressive. We're all passionate about waking up every morning, helping these small, medium e-commerce stores, kind of the David and Goliath kind of thing, helping the underdogs. And we have such cool customers that our folks get really excited about helping them, whether they're selling cool skateboards or preppy clothes or fire extinguishers. It doesn't matter. We're helping them across the board. And I think now we want to take that same energy and start applying that without, out in the community locally. So yeah, no. that could be uh, more work with nonprofits. Like, you know, we did a lot of that mm-hmm. at, at CBON as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Well, I'm still thinking about the recommendation engine that you have on the dashboard. <laughs> I got that, you jazzed about that. It's huh? very, well, it's just, gosh, <laughs> I mean, you're taking the marketing consultant like me out and put them out of business, but it's really exciting, <laughs> right? I mean, what's next? What can big data do next on that front? Yeah. Well, I think what's next really is, you know, we recently launched and integrated with the Shopify platform. Mm-hmm. It's been a few months now, and so we'll continue to add more shopping carts, right? So Magento and Shopify are definitely the, the two big ones right now in the small medium space, but there are a number of other shopping carts. We'll continue to integrate more channels. We recently integrated with the Instagram platform, which is a real challenge. That's exciting. And it's very exciting for us. So we'll continue to look at other channels as they kind of come down the path here. Of course, we're helping today all e-commerce stores. But we're finding many e-commerce stores are also opening up brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. And so how do we start to play also in the in-store model as well? And the integration between the two. Exactly. So many people view those as completely different businesses. You know, maybe some work on inventory in the back end because you've got to make sure if you sell the shirt online and then someone walks in the store that you reconcile your inventory, which not surprisingly doesn't get done very well, especially in the small medium space. But that's the first element. The next element is I send off an email marketing campaign and someone walks into the store and buys. 
How do I create attribution? How do I understand that marketing campaign drove that sale? Mm-hmm. That can be a real challenge. And it's, you know, it's one of those, those great things about working with small and medium businesses. They're so passionate about their business, but we also get the opportunity to say, what are large businesses doing? And how do you make that simple and affordable for small? So we really don't have to go out there and invent the wheel. We just have to go watch and say, okay, what's Target doing right now? Yeah. And they're trying to solve this multi-channel or omni-channel attribution, the in-store versus the online purchase being driven by digital marketing campaigns. Well, I spent a lot of my career working with that small to medium-sized business. And look, every organization is concerned about the ROI of an investment, yeah. but that small to medium-sized guy is really worried about it. And to be able to feed him that information so that he can make better, more strategic decisions is a critical advancement for him and or her running his business. Yeah, and they want to move quickly. You know, yeah. I think speed is speed their is what they have is their main weapon. So, you know, we've got to make sure that, you know, especially in the e-commerce space, a, a marketing campaign can change overnight, can change within the hour, right? Understanding when you should tweet about a hot product, you can't wait a month. You have to be doing that in the moment. So getting an alert or looking at our dashboard and saying, hey, this product is trending, logging into your Hootsuite account, which is where you do your Twitter or your Facebook, and getting content recommendations around what to do through social media marketing. That, that timeliness is so important. Well, speed is important. And that data that you're collecting for your client is enabling him or her to move with pace. And that's, in this day and age, that's so vital. So yeah, absolutely. very, very cool. We were talking pre-show, Brooks, you and I, about why you've planted your flag here in Atlanta. And I'd love for you to talk about why you're here and talk a little bit more about your, uh, you were an entrepreneur in residence at, at ATDC. Talk about some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, my wife and I have been here now for 15 years. We both are from Canada, but got our U.S. citizenship a few years ago. So we're definitely entrenched in the local community. But, you know, one of the things when we first moved Cbion here, a lot of it had to do with, you know, access to great talent. So back that was 99, 2000. So with Georgia Tech and UGA and Emory and, and other schools here, that, that was really be able to draw on talent, plus a great technology group. I mean, if you go back, you know, Bell South and Earthlink and ISS and some great foundational technology companies here. So that's what brought us here originally. And then, you know, when when uh, I decided I really want to do the next startup in 2011, what was the reason to stay? Your first instinct was San Francisco. It was, yeah. I mean, that's the natural thing. Okay, you're going to go do a marketing tech company. Let's run out to San Francisco and set up shop. And thankfully, I mean, I'll tell you, I was, we were really close. They not quite put the home up for sale, but we were right there. And someone told me to go down to Georgia Tech. And having been in Atlanta, like I said, for almost 15 years, I knew obviously what was going on at Georgia Tech, but didn't really know. Mm-hmm. And went down to the ATDC and it was eye-opening. You know, if you sit down at that Starbucks at Spring and Fifth Street <laughs> and just yell, I want to work with a startup, someone will hire you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe as an intern and maybe not paid, but you will get some great experience. experience. Yeah. And, you know, as I really immersed myself in that ecosystem and that community and that energy that's down there with Flashpoint and ATDC. And then, of course, what David and his team have done up at Tech Village, that's just, that's great for the city. And so, uh, thankfully, we decided to stay. I met my co-founding partners, um, Alan Nance and Joe Rieger. And we went through the Flashpoint program and it's been great. I mean, the community, we raised a seed round in 2012. We raised an A round in 2013 with um, tech operators taking the lead there. And then this, this last round, TTV Capital, also local. Led this last round, so I feel I like to say we've touched almost every part of the Atlanta tech ecosystem. <laughs> whether it's HDC, Flashpoint, we were part of Venture Atlanta. Um, you name it. We're obviously now members of Tag, which is a great organization. So yeah, I mean, I, and I think you and I were also talking earlier that there are people moving here now to start businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, they're leaving the valley and they're coming to Atlanta to start 
companies where, the, in many cases, it's, it's tied to certain verticals that we're really strong in here in Atlanta, whether that's healthcare IT or security, or we like to believe marketing tech. Um, a lot of great success stories in marketing tech here in Atlanta. Yeah, I think Springbot's going to continue to lead that renaissance. Uh, you know, it's uh, you mentioned several successful rounds. Uh, I think another reason, there's obviously a lot of talent here. There's a lot of resources we talked about. I mean, a Flashpoint program is a great program. Yeah. But I think the access to capital is also on a significant improvement track here. Do you agree? I do. You know, I think it's always tough when you're raising capital. You always feel like it's hard. And then when you raise it, you go, oh, look how easy that was, right? It's very difficult to raise capital in any case. You're asking someone to, to buy into your dream. I think a key thing that we try to do at Springbot is that we start investing for the next round after we just closed the previous mm-hmm. round. And a lot of it is, you know, tell people what you're going to do, go do it, and then tell them you did it. It's that simple, right? What's great about Atlanta, there's a very strong, I guess, seed capital, you know, angel funding. You know, there's a, there's a lot of capital in this town. It's just gaining access to it. It can be a challenge. And so surrounding yourself with great mentors and getting involved in these programs, you know, I think this day and age of working out of your basement and then going and presenting and hoping people will, will give you money, and you've got to be out there a year in advance of wanting to raise that capital and sharing your story and getting input from people and having them almost be part of the journey with you in that fundraising process. Yeah, well, that's great advice on the fundraising front, uh, but there's plenty of resources in this town where you can bootstrap and still be very successful as a startup. So, I mean, don't overlook those opportunities as well. Well, Brooks, gosh, let seven years pass before we we talk again. Uh, Before I let you go, how can people contact you should they have questions and where can they learn more about Springbot? Well, our website is springbot.com. They can follow us on Twitter at Springbot, or they can contact me via our website. All right. Brooks Robinson, co-founder and CEO of Springbot. Great to have you. Thanks for stopping by. Great to see you again. Great. Great to see you as well. Thanks, Todd. All right. That wraps this broadcast. Again, on behalf of my guest, Brooks Robinson, I'm Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. Intrepid Business.